Our Father and our God, we bow before you, knowing that you have created us for the very purpose of worship. And we have sought to worship you through hymns and songs and prayers already. We pray, Father, that it is acceptable in your sight because of the work of Christ who intercedes on our behalf to present our worship to you as a sacrifice of praise. We come also asking that you forgive us, for we know that we are sinners in need of your grace in each and every day. We pray, Father, that we would understand our sinfulness, that we would understand our sins of omission and commission, knowing that they are great and that they are many, and that only Christ could pay the debt of those sins. So we come to worship Him, we come to praise His name, who has given us eternal life. We pray, Father, that we may learn more of His salvation this day, and more of what He has accomplished for us, and how we should respond to that because of this great salvation. We come knowing that You are a God who has told us to bring our prayer requests to You, knowing that You are able to answer them according to your will and bring honor and glory to your name. So we come asking, Father, that you would do that which only you can do, for you are able to do that which is impossible. So we come to a sovereign and mighty God. We ask, Father, that you would continue to work in our midst and bring about healing in the lives of those who are ill. We thank you for Brother Fonzo being able to return, and we pray that you continue to strengthen his body from his surgery. We pray for Allison as she has surgery tomorrow, that your hand would be upon her body and that you would guide the surgeon and that that would be successful. We pray for Lynn Jones and his family and the loss of his aunt. Pray that you would bless them with the comfort that comes only from you. Pray that as those who attend this funeral, that they would be mindful of how short life can be. We pray for Robert and Wendy's friend whose sister is facing death and under hospice. We Pray that you would comfort her and be with the family and use this opportunity also to cause people to see their need of Christ. We pray for our brother Brad Wheeler as he's away at a conference and as he continues to seek to work to start a Christian group there at Bellhaven. So many prayer requests, Father, and you know the many that we talked about and shared even this past Wednesday night, and we pray that you would answer them and that we would submit to your will, knowing that you're able to bring good out of bad and difficult situations. We continue to lift up Brother Keith's daughter-in-law, Allison. We pray, Father, that you would comfort her as well and use her chemo to kill the cancer in her body. Calls us, Father, to be concerned about those who are in need. 
to show them mercy and grace. And we pray, Father, that we would be your instruments in your hands to accomplish your work. Pray that you would bring many into your kingdom as the gospel is proclaimed throughout the world this day. We thank you that we serve an almighty God, that we have a gospel that is victorious and that you are conquering nations, Father, and that Christ would ultimately be praised. Every tongue and every knee shall bow and confess him as Lord. Pray that all that would be said this day would be pleasing unto thee. Teach us by your Spirit, and it's in Christ's name that we pray and for his sake and glory. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me again to the Sermon on the Mount. We are still in chapter 6, and we'll be looking at verses or reading verses 25 through 34 this morning. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or what or about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barn, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his status? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the fields, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed with one like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. May God bless the reading of His Word and give us ears to hear. God's Word is valuable to us. That's how we learn to live the Christian life. By way of announcement, if you were unable to go with us to our men's retreat, I will not rebuke you. I will just say, listen to the sermons. The four sermons that were preached, one of the best sermons I ever heard on masculinity was preached by Mark Jarvis. If you don't listen to any other, listen to that one, men. And women, I encourage you to listen to it as well. 
We need that today. And men, I would encourage you also to take the message and teach it to your children, especially your boys. We need masculine men in our day, and he does an excellent job in presenting that. But listen to all of them if you have time. Today's the Lord's Day. We're to spend the Lord's Day in thinking on Him, thinking on His Word, meditating on His truth. What you hear this morning in the sermon, you need to meditate on it this afternoon. But also, I'd encourage you to listen to one of these sermons. Take one. Uh, if you don't listen to all four today, take one each Sunday for the next four Sundays and listen to them. Men need to be men. Men need to be godly men. Men to raise their families in a godly home. So I encourage you. That's the commercial. It's easy to see that Jesus in these particular verses that we just read a moment ago is urging his followers to do what? I think that our children ought to be able to answer that question. To not worry, right? And he gives us specific reasons why we should not worry. He knows that worrying can be a real problem for true Christians in this world. Now we're dealing with Christians. He's saying that Christians can have a problem with this sin of worrying. And Jesus begins this particular section of his sermon. We could say this is point number eight, I guess. Do not worry about your life there in verse 25. And it can be translated, don't be anxious. Don't be stirred up over things. We all understand what worrying means. And he's saying that as his followers, you are, to take, you are not to get stressed out over the things of this world. Now that's easy to say, right? How do we apply it? I mean, the lawgiver, the sovereign God of our life, that is who is speaking these words to us. The one who created us, the one who is able to supply every need that we have, the one who comforts us, the one who is our helper in all things, he is the one that is giving us these words. The one who gives us joy in this life. And he who has ears to hear, hear it. Take no thought for your life, nor yet for your body. Now it'd be one thing if your boss said those words to you. It'd be another thing if your wife said those words to you, or your co-worker, or friend, or your parents, or anyone else. But this is the Lord Jesus Christ who has all authority given to you. The Lord of Lords is telling you and me to not worry. So our ears ought to perk up when He speaks. You know, we've all seen that commercial. I don't know if it's on TV anymore. I don't watch commercials. I hate commercials. So I just, I kind of delay my program. So therefore, when a commercial comes up, I sped through it and go to the next segment. E.F. Hutton, remember that commercial? When I think it was E.F. Hutton, if I'm right. Anyway, when speaks, everybody listens. And that ought to be here. When, when Jesus speaks, we ought to all listen. We ought to perk up and heed 
what is spoken. And this particular subject concerns every single one of us. Of course, there's various degrees for each of us as far as guilt is concerned. But yet it applies to all of us, namely worrying over material things. Having anxiety about the future, what the future holds. But we must see that this worrying that Jesus is speaking of, to do it is very dishonoring to God. It's a sin which we need to be conscious of. And often we don't even think about this being a sin. So therefore, if we don't think about it being a sin, we don't confess it as a sin, we don't repent of it as a sin. We don't see that we need to seek grace so that we might be able to avoid this particular sin. The very fact that Jesus prohibits it reveals the high calling of a Christian and how different he is from those who are in the world. Jesus speaks of the Gentiles here. Of course, he's not excluding the Jews, but he's speaking of the Gentiles and how they live and how we are to live differently. A lost man doesn't really care about what Jesus taught. They may say they care, but they don't really care. They're not going to take God's word and apply it to their life. They have no desire to do that. He doesn't even consider anxiety as any kind of sin. He doesn't consider really any sins in his life. So anxiety would be something he wouldn't even think of. It's just a way of life for him. Staying up, working late at night, planning for the future, worrying about all things. That, that's part of his life and he just accepts it that way. But not only is it a sin, we must see that it is a great sin. I mean, if I was to ask you before the sermon this morning, I, should have, I could have done this. Take out a piece of paper and list sins, and I want one of them to be anxiety. Where are you going to put it? Most of us probably would have put it way down here on the bottom. It's not very much a sin. Now, why is it a great sin? Well, we're going to consider that as we study this passage. To worry about future needs or that you may suffer from lack of having something is to be guilty of unbelief. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, what it, it, it does, it calls into question the goodness of our Creator. It calls into question His care for you. See what you're worrying about, am I going to be taken care of? So you're, you're missing that, yes, God's going to take care of you. It's unbelief that God is going to take care of you. It reveals a lack of faith in His wise and providential care for you. It betrays doubt of our Heavenly Father's love. For us, concerning us as his children. As we shall see, such anxiety of mine is in reality covetousness. For it's to lust after things that God has not given us yet. And that's a great sin. 
And I pray that the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and convicts us to this great sin, this wickedness, so that we might subdue this iniquity in us. Now, why does Jesus teach us not to worry about these things? Because we are valuable to our Heavenly Father. So valuable to Him that He promises to provide for us. He promises to provide for us what we wear, what we eat, what we drink. And we often let this slip our mind. This is a major point that we must remember. Now what we see here, Jesus is arguing, and there's a Latin term, and I'm not going to try to even attempt to pronounce it. I have a hard enough time pronouncing English, much less Latin. But there's a Latin term that argues from the greater to the lesser. And that's what Jesus is doing here. When he says, if not life, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So if you get the greater things right, if you understand the greater things, then you will be able to understand the smaller things. That you will naturally have the smaller things because you have the greatest thing. Doesn't that make sense? For instance, Paul in Romans 8, 31b through 32 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for all, how shall we not with Him also freely give us all things? Did you think about that passage as I read it? I mean, if God has saved us, now how does God save us? God saves us by His Son. He sent His Son to save us. That's the greatest thing ever. If we have attained the greatest thing ever, then what else do we need? Is He not going to take care of lesser things? If He's blessed us with the greatest gift ever, then surely He's going to take care of the lesser things. And the things that He talks about here, food and clothing and drink, that is a lot lesser. I mean, you can't even hardly put it on the same scale with Christ. So if He's given us the very best, Christ, then... Will He withhold from us the lesser things, all that we need, which are so less as far as value is concerned? See, God has given His people the biggest and greatest blessing of all, Jesus Christ. Therefore, do you not realize that He will gladly help you with the lesser things in life? I mean, is that not logical? That's very logical. So if God cares for your entire life, if He cares for your soul and He cares for your body, is He not going to do the lesser things in feeding that body and clothing that body and taking care of you? 
I mean, of course, we must use our common sense that God has given us. We're to be diligent in the proper areas that He's called us to be diligent in, knowing that, yes, He provides for life, but yet He also has given us a responsibility to do the things that we're to do. I mean, a farmer, he doesn't just simply walk out into the field and throw a bunch of seeds and walk back into the house and say, well, I'll wait for time to harvest now. He doesn't do that. Because he knows if he does that, what? He's not going to have a crop. What does he do? He gets out. He plows up. He pulls out the weeds. He does the fertilizing to kill the weeds. He plows up the roads, he, he scatters the seed, he nourishes the plants, he waters the plant, does all that he needs to do as a farmer, and then he waits for the harvest and he goes out and he reaps the harvest. In other words, he does his diligent due that God has told him to, that God has given the ability to do those things. So don't think that Jesus is saying that we just simply sit back and wait for him to clothe us and to feed us and to give us drink. We must do what is required of us. What Jesus is forbidding is anxious care, unreasonable care, and worrying. That is what he is prohibiting. Earlier in Jesus' sermon that we've been looking at, his main teaching was to defer, deter his followers from this spirit of covetousness. We, we've looked at that. We've spent time on that. What did he say back in verse 19? He said, do not lay up for yourself treasures here on earth. So he was warning believers how the heart can easily idolize the things of this world. And now he turns to deal with the root of covetousness. The root of covetousness is anxiety. Anxiety over the things in life, especially for such things that are necessary for this life, for us to maintain a healthy livelihood. And he continues that same train of thought that he spoke of in those verses, beginning there in verse 19 all the way down to verse 24 that we've looked at. And he continues to deal with that, and he starts now emphasizing anxiety and worrying. And he says, do not worry. And he repeats it three times through this, these verses that we have read, which not only reveals the importance of this precept, but also shows us in repeating it three different times how slow we can be in heeding this appeal. What do I mean by that? There's times we can be hard at it, right? We're all fit into that category. I know some are more hard-headed than others. I've been told many times I'm hard-headed, and I, I'm not going to deny that, especially when it comes to the Word of God. I'm very hard-headed, but I'm hard-headed over other things. But some of you fit right up there with me, so I feel in good company. Now, we must see the connection with these verses with those that we've already looked at. Jesus has forbidden us to not lay up treasures here on earth. And it's a warning against what? We've already looked at it, and I hope you remember. Wealth becoming our idol. Wealth becoming our God. Now, you may think there's no danger to you in this. 
since you don't have much or make much, or you are barely meeting ends at the end of the month, therefore you say, I don't have any problem with wealth because I don't have wealth. Well, who are the ones who um, go to the casinos and to uh, buy lottery tickets the most? It's the ones that are poor. Did you know that? If you don't believe me, not now, but later you can look it up on the internet. Because I looked it up. I thought that was the case, but I wanted to make sure I looked it up. Those are the ones. Why? Because they're wanting to get rich. So, so that also is an aspect of this sin. And Jesus is giving this warning to all. The fear of poverty see, brings us to worry about the future. Am I going to have enough? Dia must remember, having loved this world, deserted Paul. This temptation to forsake Christ for this world, for things, the cares of this world, early earthly needs can easily draw us in, can easily ensnare us and cause us to be distrustful and distracted from our main task. It can cause us to fix our heart on earthly things rather than heavenly things. So Jesus urges us not to worry about our life, but to remember God Our Heavenly Father is trustworthy. There's no one that is more trustworthy than God. And we must remember that. Now that's our introduction to this passage. Now, I know none of y'all thought we were going to get all these verses this morning. Matter of fact, we're really going to look at just one verse, and that's verse 25 that I've already read and emphasized. But we only have two points this morning that I want us to look at. And I want us to see these two truths which should encourage us to trust our Heavenly Father at all times so that we bring honor and glory to His name by our actions. First, Jesus teaches that the entire life of God's children are under God's care. So, don't worry. Your life is under His care, so there's no need to worry. When we talk about being cared for, we need to realize that there's two kinds of care. First, a godly and reasonable care. And second, then there's that suspicious and unreasonable one. And God requires us to diligently work and manage our life, to not be lazy but, and not depend on others, but to depend on Him. Now it's sad to say that our government back in the 60s did a great harm to our society in beginning to give out money and the program that was developed, Welfare. They had good intentions, there's no doubt. Government always has good intentions, right? But it's amazing how their good intentions always end up causing disaster, and it did. 
But as Christians, we must not be overly preoccupied with the consideration of providing for our future needs. I'm not saying that you're not to consider the future. Remember, we looked at that earlier in an earlier sermon, how diligent the ants are in preparing for winter. But it reveals a lack of trust in God's providential care if you put too much emphasis on it, as the rich farmer did in building bigger barns and storing up and thinking that he'd be able to just sit back and enjoy life. This doesn't mean that we can be wasteful with what God has blessed us with. We are to be good stewards of all that God has given us. America is probably the most wasteful nation in the world. Visit some other countries and you will understand what I'm talking about. We throw away more food than any nation in the world. If you don't believe me today, stand by the garbage can. You've seen me standing there stacking plates so that we can get more plates in the bag and we won't have to use more bags. You say, well, Pastor, you, we got plenty of bags. I'm saying don't be wasteful. I mean, one cent, add another cent, and you keep adding. Be good stewards of God's money. I mean, what we have to understand is that as a nation that is so blessed, you can end up being wasteful. We're so blessed. We have so much. I mean, why are people standing at our borders today trying to get into this nation? They know how blessed nation we are. And they want to enjoy the blessings that we have received. I mean, what other country in the world... Has people, I'm talking about thousands, even millions, trying to get into the country besides the United States? God has blessed this nation and we must be wise with what He has blessed us with or one day we may be bankrupt as a nation. Now this again is something that we must understand that all blessings come from the hand of God. That He is the one that has abundantly blessed him, and therefore he expects a lot from us. Those who are blessed are to bless others. Another way of commercial, as you read the newsletter, and I mentioned it a couple of sermons ago, is our opportunity that we're going to have to be able to help Pastor Tiago and his church as they renovate for the seminary there, the third floor. Uh, And I encourage you, as I did in the newsletter, to pray about that. Pray what God would have you to give. Give of your abundance. Or even if you have to sacrifice, sacrifice for this wonderful work that is being done there in Portugal. Because God has blessed us abundantly. And Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your bodily needs. We must be submissive to His Word. And understand that the welfare of our souls is more important than the things. Temporal things must never override spiritual things. And we must honestly seek those things that we need in life. Praying that God might be pleased to bless us and prosper us according to His providence. Why? So that we might do more in the kingdom of God. 
I hope that you're objected. I hope your objective is not to make more and more money so that you can have bigger and better houses and cars and, and furniture and all of those things. I hope your objective is that you pray that God would prosper you so that you are able to use your money in the kingdom work. That's what's important. Kingdom work. Using it to bring honor and glory to God. Using it so that God might raise up men to preach the gospel and send forth missionaries so that the gospel might spread throughout the world and others be brought into the kingdom of God. We must learn to be satisfied with the things that God gives us and our abundance to be used for His kingdom work. Christ is not forbidding us to look ahead and make provision for the future, but He's forbidding us to constantly preoccupy our minds about the future with concerns about things. There are those who are constantly investing and looking at their vesting. I I know of a man, I was told of a man, that every day, that's all he'd do, spend most every day looking at his investments that he had made. Man, what a boring life that must be. But yet that's his God, see? That's all he wants to do. Being so worried about what the future holds that you forget about what you should be doing in the presence. Being involved in the kingdom work so that fear and anxiety and unbelief is forbidden. A.W. Pink says, to be tormented by anxious thoughts about the future is unworthy of our manhood, let alone of our divine sonship, and it is most dishonoring to our Creator. So let us keep that in mind. Notice again what he says there in verse 25. And he begins... The verse by saying what? Therefore. Now you've heard that many times. If there's a therefore, you have to ask, why is the therefore therefore? The therefore therefore is doing what? Well, it's telling us to remember what he's already told us. We've already briefly looked at that. So we're to remember that those who have set their heart on earthly treasures, those who do not have a single eye, toward heavenly treasure, those who are slaves to wealth will be full of anxiety because of all of those things. But we as Christians are not to be like that. Anxiety is about personal possessions in an improper and sinful way. Matthew Henry says, I, your master, Jesus speaking, upon whom you depend for instructions and direction in all things needful for both soul and body, so as to command your attention, I say, as the Lord and Sovereign of your heart, He says, it as our comforter and helper of our joy. So again, he's emphasizing who it is that is speaking to us, that Jesus teaches us that all of our concerns about the future should not disturb our joy in God. It should not destroy our peace in Christ. For he knew, or we know, that he is in control. 
of all things. And anxiety will lead our hearts away from our Heavenly Father. And it will produce distrusting our Heavenly Father, which I've already said is a great sin. Distressing fear is prohibited by Christians because of what it does, what it does to us and what it does to our testimony of God. Instead of relying upon God's providence for blessing, it is to distrust God, revealing a covetous heart. And this often leads to dishonoring God in some worldly, sinful way. I mean, how often have you heard of someone embezzling money. Now, why do they do that? Most of the time, because they have got in debt. And they see that's the only way that they can get out of the debt that they're in. As the Scripture says, the cares of this world. I mean, we've all recently been bombarded by a long trial of Alex Murdo. Did you hear how much money he stole from others, his law firm, $8.8 million. And what did that sin lead to? That sin led to him murdering his own son and his own wife. The prosecutor said, that he did it to attempt to distract and delay the investigation into his growing financial problems. How sinful to kill two individuals that he should have loved dearly so that his sin of financial problems would be covered up. Do you see how great a sin it can be? Second, God cares for His children very specifically. Notice again what He says there in verse 25. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. If not life, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now I remind you that Jesus is going from the greater to the lesser. I mean, God, if He's taking care of our life, which includes our basic needs, then He will take care of our lesser needs. I mean, things that are not worthy to be worried about. I mean, for they are insufficient compared to eternity. I mean, in a few years, a lot of us in this room will no longer need these things. They'll be totally useless to us in glory. I mean, it'd be like a fish needing a swimsuit. We won't need them. 
God will provide everything. He provides everything now, but I mean, there in heaven, I'm talking about everything to where worrying won't even enter into our mind. But what will matter is whether or not you fed on the Lamb of God and were clothed in His righteousness. This past week in our pastor's meeting that we have once a month, one of the pastors shared, I don't even know how we got off on the subject, but he shared about going to visit a lady in the hospital a while back. And when he walked in, this lady had the beginning stage of leukemia. He walked in the room and she was on the phone talking to someone. And and she said, wait a minute, please. And she just kept on talking and talking and talking and talking. He said, after about three or four minutes, he just said, I'll see you later. And walked out. See, she wasn't concerned, really. Wasn't really concerned about spiritual needs at that point. Of course, it was the beginning stages of her leukemia. She wasn't really, she said, I'll be out of the hospital and pastor's here. He can wait. Let me finish my conversation. Who and it, wasn't, it wasn't something like trying to get her things in order. It was just a conversation. He said next time she was in hospital, months later, he walked in, oxygen mask literally bleeding from the eyes. He walked in. <laughs> That's what she did. Grabbed his hand. She couldn't even speak. You want me to pray for you? See, she had time now. She didn't have time for spiritual things earlier. She had time how God brought her low. God knows how to do that. God knows how to get our attention to understand what is important and what is not important. See, worldly cares can be one of the greatest hindrances for spiritual growth. Did you hear what I said? Worldly cares can be one of the greatest hindrances for our spiritual growth. I mean, are you hindered today? Where's your mind today? Is it on what I'm speaking about? What Jesus has spoken to us about? Or is your mind on what am I going to do after church? What am I going to do this afternoon? What's going on this week? What business deal do I have coming up? or some other aspect of what's coming up this week, is your mind focused on that instead of thinking about worshiping and true and living God and hearing the words of His Son that were spoken 2,000 years ago? Is your mind preoccupied with the things of this world? If it is, you are committing idolatry today, this moment in this worship service. If you're putting something before God instead of worshiping Him this day, then you are committing idolatry. I mean, how often we dismiss this sin and think that it is a small sin. God does not see it as a small sin. 
If you don't believe me, go and read the Old Testament and see how often God punished Israel for this sin of idolatry. Time and time again they were punished because they neglected thinking upon God and what God had said to them. But not only in the Old Testament we see that, we see it at the very beginning of the New Testament. And the New Testament church, remember there in Acts chapter 5, there was Ananias and Sapphira, and they sold this property, and they brought it and presented it as if they were presenting all the money. Remember that? Why didn't they present all the money? This sin. Oh, we need to keep some back for us. I mean, nobody had told them they had to give all of it. If God had laid on their heart to give all of it, they should have given all of it. But to try to resist by just making it believe, everybody believed that they were given all that they had sold and made off of the property, it showed that their hearts were not right with God. They were first of all doing it for show. And second, they were keeping as much as they could for the future and not trusting God. I mean, how often we dismiss this sin. The parable of the sower helps us to understand this sin. For we see clearly that the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word And he became what? Unfruitful. Why? The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and became unfruitful, did not bear forth any fruit. If you don't bear forth any fruit, guess what? You're not a Christian. And we see that worrying about things is fatal to one's spiritual fruitfulness. And it's troubling. It's troubling that our minds are so often geared to being distracted by things. Anxiety is frequent in our lives. What do you think about when you lay your head on the pillow at night? Are you giving thanks to God for how He saw you through another day, how He blessed you through that another day, or are you worrying about tomorrow? I think that most of us would have to play guilty to worrying about tomorrow because our minds can be so absorbed that we cannot even spend one day Meditating upon God. So absorbed with the things of this world that we cannot give one day a week to the one that created us, to the one that saved us from our sins. And we won't give Him one day a week. We won't give Him two worship services. How? Sinful. To not show him our love by 
doing what he asks us to do. To worship him. To give him a day. How often do we avoid this sinful worrying about temporal things by applying God's word? God's word gives us the answer. Psalms 37, 5. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust also in Him. And He shall bring it to pass. What a wonderful truth. What a wonderful promise. If we will just commit our ways to the Lord and trust in Him, He will bring it to pass. 55.22 Cast your burdens on the Lord and He shall sustain you. What a promise. Let us heed that promise. Let us rely upon the Lord. Let us cast our cares upon Him. Cast all our burdens upon Him. Proverbs 16.3 Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. And 1 Peter 5.7 Cast all your cares upon Him. Why? For He cares for you. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that God cares for you? If you really believe that God cares for you, then cast all your cares upon Him. I mean, these passages do not exempt us from carrying out our daily responsibilities, but they help us to leave the results to God as far as the excess of our efforts. We must exercise faith and completely submit to His sovereign pleasure. He does all things right. He does all things good. He gives the increase. He subtracts. He knows what is best for us. Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So if you do have a care, if you do have a worry, if you do have a burden, make it known to God. Why? Because He's the only one that really and truly can deal with it, right? He's the one that can settle it. He's the one that can take the burden away. He's the one that loves you and cares for you. Cares for you so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die for you. So why not? Why would you not cast your cares upon Him? Why would you not go to Him with your prayers and supplication? We must see that being anxious is sin. And not a small sin, but a great one. And it must be put to death. It must be put to death daily because it will come daily to tempt you. God knows how to get the attention of His children, as I just mentioned ago. He knows how to cause us to depend upon Him for all of our needs. A number of you know that my dad had 
stroke. My dad was a godly man. I never, ever heard him say one cuss word. He always had us at church. He was a very generous man. He, he was a deacon in the church. He loved teaching what they called RAs, royal ambassadors, young, young boys. And I could go on and on. But the sin of anxiety was my dad's besetting sin. I remember every month, my brother remembers it too, when those bills came in, dad would fuss. And I could remember mother, honey, the Lord's going to take care of you. She was to the other extreme. She didn't worry about a thing. She still doesn't. Lord's going to take care of me, provide for all my needs. I'm not worried about it. She, she's still that way. Like I said, she almost went too far to the other extreme. But there was that constant fussing and battle every month. And I don't know, I can't, I can't be dogmatic on this, but sometimes I wonder if the reason why my dad had a stroke and laid in bed for eight years. Eight years he was totally dependent upon my mother. Totally. I don't know if God brought that about to call us in to see, Lewis, say, I'm going to take care of you. You can't do anything. And you're going to be taken care of for eight years. And he did. He was taken care of. God used my mother to take care of him, to wait on him hand and foot all of those years. Let me close with what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. Here we are reminded once more of the terrible subtlety of Satan and of sin. See, he sees anxiety as a great sin too. It does not matter very much to Satan what form he sins or sin takes as long as he's successful in his ultimate objective. It is immaterial to him whether you are lady up treasures on earth or worrying about earthly things. All he is concerned about is that your mind should be on those things and not on God. Just like what I said this morning. On other things instead of on God in our worship. And he will assail and attack you from every single direction. You may think you have won this great battle against Satan because you have conquered him when he came in the front door and talked about laying up treasures on earth. And you said, I didn't fall for that. I'm not consumed with treasures on earth. But before you are aware of it, you will find he has come in through the back door and is causing you anxiety about these things. He is still making you look at them and so is perfectly content 
He can transform himself into an angel of light. There is no end to the variety of his methods. His one concern, now hear this, his one concern, Satan's one concern, is that we should keep our minds on these things instead of centering them upon God and holding them there. But unfortunately, or but fortunately for us, we are led by one who knows him and his methods. And if we can say with Paul, we are not ignorant of his devices, it is because we have been taught and instructed by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. How subtle was the devil's threefold temptation to Christ in the wilderness. If thou be the Son of God, Satan said. We are subject to similar attacks, but thank God. Our Lord has instructed us concerning it here and his teaching is given in a very plain and explicit way. Do not worry. Let's pray. Father, we know, as we have seen, that this is a great sin in the life of many Christians. Cause us to see that so that we might confess it and repent of it. Cause us to see how trustworthy you are as our God. Cause us to see how you have provided for us in the past. That you have blessed us abundantly. So why would we ever question the future and your blessing? Forgive us, Father, for our doubt. Forgive us for our mistrust. Forgive us. For our sins. And strengthen us by your spirit. So that we might be used of you to testify to this world of your worthiness. Of your sovereignty. Of your grace and of your mercy. And I pray, Father, for those who would sit under the preaching of your word this day that do not know this Lord and Savior who has all things under his authority. May today be the day of salvation that they cry out to you in repentance and in saving faith. Do not allow them, Father, to ignore these truths 
to ignore the slavery that this world brings about, but cause them to see the seriousness and to understand the truth that today is the day of salvation. Turn them to Christ. Turn them away from their sin. And Father, as we come now to observe the Lord's Supper, this ordinance which you have given us, prepare our hearts, Father. To prepare our hearts as we remember what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. For we know that we never could have been good enough, righteous enough to be accepted in your sight. And we never could have paid the debt for our multitude upon multitude upon multitude of sins. But we have a great Savior who has done exactly that. And may we look to Him as we take of the bread and of the fruit of the vine. Search our hearts and prepare us to receive that which you give us.